Welcome, welcome. Thanks for making your way back to the Lit and Lucid podcast. I'm your co-host Jared, and I'm stoked to have you join us this holiday season for another informative show. This week we chat with Josh Comita and Sam Campbell, both of MJ Arsenal. We'll talk about the creative glass pieces they design, their dope name and how it came about, and some of the hurdles they've faced in their journey. All of us here at Lit and Lucid want to wish you and yours happy holidays and safe travels throughout the season. Be sure to check out next week's episode as well featuring Peter Calfee and GoFire, a unique consumption device. We will leave it at that. As always, stay tuned, stay lit, stay educated fans. Here's Lucy with your show. everybody to the lit and lucid podcast we are here recording live from the mile high with sam campbell and josh carmita of mj arsenal what's up guys hey how you guys doing how's it going doing pretty well welcome to the show glad you have glad to have you on thanks for making the time we're stoked to be here yeah, so we have some fellow Denverites on the show with us today. Uh, they're going to talk to us about a local company, MJ Arsenal. What they are is the creator of the original blunt bubbler as well as the joint bubbler. Uh, they are patent designs on function and innovative percolation technology. So these are glass pieces that you can use for joints and blunts. And then they also have some new glass pieces for dabbing as well. So they're going to kind of explain to us how they got started, a little bit more about their products, where to find them and some other fun things cool should, should we just dive right in yeah why don't you just tell us kind of you know how mj arsenal started what, where the idea came from things like that sure so it was mj arsenal was originally you know more of like a fun side project um the first product we introduced was called the wand which is essentially for lack of a better description an upgraded paper clip that was bendable and, and malleable in all the right ways to kind of be the perfect mate for your cleaning of bowls and uh, all that sort of utility tool needs you may need on the cannabis consumption side. Um, it started with that, and then the, the joint and blunt bubbler, the original one being the Martian, um, was kind of you know bouncing around in my head for you know a couple of years. It wasn't until I moved to Denver that I was really exposed to actual glass blower as an artist that could handle such a medium. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I did, I was able to befriend a couple and was able to bug them enough until they invited me to their studio, and we kind of got the whole joint blunt bubbling concept going from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of born within the fire, so to speak. Um, and that was kind of like our marquee product that kind of got everything going. And, you know, we, we've certainly done our best to build a brand beyond the product, but that's, you know, that was the, the starting line for us. So explain to listeners like what this is, like this joint bubbler, what exactly sure. the technology is. So the original one we're talking about being the Martian is an egg shape. It's about an inch and a half, two inches high. And the idea is that it's got a conical receiver so that you can put just about any size joint or blunt into this receiving end. You then have your downstem that goes directly into the water with a small chamber for percolation and then directly into your mouth. So essentially, you get the smoothness of a bomb with the full body hit of a joint and blunt. You don't have to sacrifice a thing. Mm, gotcha. Huh, interesting. And then you guys kind of moved into some other pieces as well, like the dab rigs, I think. Those are interesting. Yeah. You know, I mean, after we got our feet wet, so to speak, in Denver, the more 
recreational mature marketplaces, you know, we quickly saw the impact that concentrates dabs and, and just uh, concentrate oils just had on the marketplace and the consumers in general. Mm-hmm. So we, we thought it'd be prudent to, to create a line of products that, you know, would hit on our, our pillars being functional, affordable and innovative. And we thought that the mini rigs were, were a great opportunity to do that. They're very affordable. I mean, what the, your products are running from 18 to $40 online. Yeah, so $49 is our most expensive product, and that is for one of our new mini rigs. Um, it does also come included with a quartz attachment as well. So it's kind of your turnkey dab kit. All you need is the flame and the dab itself. Gotcha. That's awesome. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here browsing through you guys' website. I hope you don't mind. Um, and I love what I see. Um, so what is cool is that you guys really have almost every aspect of, you know, the main cannabis market corner. Cause I like that the mini bubbler is pictured with a pre-roll. Uh, Lucy and I tried it and I thought it was absolutely amazing. I mean, it made the pre-roll, the flavor pop. You didn't have any of the harshness, uh, with the water in there, the bubbler part, like that was amazing. Um, and it's something that I've never experienced before. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then a lot of other, other glassware is the traditional, uh, glassware you need for concentrates or, or other things and I, I think it's it's a great uh, market you know that you guys have almost created for yourself I feel like because it's a great product that I would use I would use a lot because it's it's fun to use and it's like functional like you said so well thank you I mean uh, you kudos know, to you guys you guys have definitely accomplished I believe what you guys set out to do well we appreciate that and, and you know us being consumers first and foremost I mean we try to be consumer forward and focused when we create these products you know, we try to think of all the little things that may be a pain point or may be annoying about the process going even beyond the function. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's all about creating something that's fun and also very usable for the daily driver that everyone needs in their smoke circle. They are, yeah. I mean, uh, Jared and I were looking for a dab rig a couple of weeks ago and we're not, you know, dabbers. We just really needed the tools so we could try out half of this free product that we had. Sure, oh, yeah. And uh, we went to dispensaries and we went up to one in Boulder and they're like, oh, you know, what's your budget? And like everything there was like $500 and up. And we're like, no, we just need like a standard piece. And then you guys sent us this and I was like, oh, well, there's the piece we were looking for. Like, it's perfect. I love it. And that's, you know, that's one of our goals is to be able to provide partners like that being dispensaries with recreational and medicinal users alike who are experienced and not, mm-hmm. you know, an option that they don't have to break the bank, yet they get that top shelf quality all the same. Mm-hmm. So they're available in dispensaries as well? Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. That's awesome. So you had mentioned before, show that you guys are in 1,700 retail locations? We are. We're very, very fortunate to be uh, in about 1,700 spots around the country. Uh, and that's the majority being smoke shop, head shops, and then a growing contingent being uh, the dispensary side. That's awesome. Uh, you know, and, and how does that, I mean, how does that look from your guys' perspective? Are you guys allowed to enter like non-legal states? I mean, I remember as a kid, I'm not going to lie. I mean, you go to head shops and you could buy pipes and stuff and just say it's a tobacco pipe. You know, what is the, you know, what does the retail side of it look like nowadays? Are you guys allowed to say, hey, this is for cannabis consumption or is it still kind of under the table or kind of awkward, I guess, in, in non-legal states? So in any public, it's a good question. In any public forum, um, I will be the first to say that these are for tobacco use only. Um, there are certain things that we still have to keep, quote unquote, above board. Um, this kind of comes down to the whole conundrum of banking, credit card processors, the PayPal's of the world. Um, you know, we try not to explicitly market it as this is for cannabis consumption. While most of our consumers can certainly make that link, um, we don't 
want to be as um, you know open air about that in particular uh, for those reasons we just named. So um, we can sell these products in all 50 states. There's no issue when it comes to that. I think as you alluded to and as I experienced in my earlier days, as long as you don't call it a bong in the wrong state in the wrong shop, you'll be fine. Right. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Do you guys see that changing at all? Is it, is it kind of opening up in areas? I mean, obviously, until it's all changed you know, federally, uh, that's not going to change. But do you kind of see the tide changing and people being more understanding of what you know this glassware is used for? Yeah, I mean, I think it really comes down to the platform. You know, if we're talking about social media or more public universal channels that really reach across uh, a, natu- a national yeah. spectrum, they span the state line, so to speak. Yeah. Then, you know, you have to be extra careful because you have to abide by every single law in every single state, and especially uh, pertaining to the particular social platform. But on a state-by-state basis, it really comes down to the vernacular that they use in the shop. You know, here in Colorado, it's obviously much more a liberal conversation, but, you know, other states, they still have the same policy where you can't say bong. Yeah, you'll get kicked out of the shop. And to, yeah. to, to, to tag on to what Sam said, I mean, you know, we, we try to be very focused on that in our packaging. You know, our packaging does not say the MJR is not dab rig. Mm-hmm. You know, our packaging, you know, keeps it to terms that are both colloquial and non, I'll say, overly or overtly illicit, I'll mm-hmm. call it. Mm-hmm. That's smart. Yeah, no. I mean, that's just part of it, too, that, you know, I didn't even think about it till now that, you know, even folks like yourself, so you guys walk a very fine line and uh, much like any other person in this cannabis industry that everybody, you know, has different kind of hoops and, and the kind of ways they have to to go about things to, to be successful. So uh, that's a very cool perspective. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, a lot of hoops jump through it. And we, we get it easy. I mean, if we were touching the plant, it'd be a whole other ballgame. So. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But it's still interesting still that even on... Even on that side, there's still, you know, hoops and it just, it shows that, you know, the, I guess the, uh, the determination you have to have if you're an entrepreneur in the cannabis space, that it's not, you know, an easy run, like maybe in other businesses. Um, there's not as many, you know, walls to go through or doors you have to find and, you know, hoops to jump through, I guess, in other places. And it's all the same doors. They're just bigger and stronger. Bigger and stronger. Exactly. So, (laughs) so did you guys have any other uh, gigs before this? Um, or is this kind of your first time in an entrepreneurial space? Uh, no, for both of us. I co-founded a company, Stash Logics, uh, many years back, hmm. lockable secure storage system for nice. cannabis. Um, so this would be my second foray into entrepreneurial space and the cannabis space. And I, I think Josh has a similar experience. Yeah, I, I was. I, I've invented products and done sourcing for different products and companies previously. So I, I've taken you know my skill set when it comes to intellectual property and, and logistics and supply chain and, and applied it to these products here. Cool. Yeah, I saw that, you know, I don't know if they were patent pending or if you already have patents, but that's very important, you know, as a business owner or an entrepreneur with new and innovative products that you definitely get those patents early on. Definitely. Um, There's no question. You know, the amount of people that told us, you know, hey, moron, you can't patent glass. I mean, I wish I had a nickel. Um, (laughs) So it's, it's very funny to see what some common perceptions are versus the reality. That's awesome. And I like, Sam, that you, you kind of, uh, I mean, you followed a very logical path, no pun intended from Stash Logic, but you went from making the, the very cool, by the way, yeah, uh, containers to hold all your glassware and stuff and different uh, smoking accessories to now, you know, helping make those accessories. So that's kind of cool. How does it feel yeah. to make that transition? Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, just switching from, you know, I, I hate to say that the bag space is somewhat limited compared to glass, but the sky's the limit in, in what you can do with the material of glass, especially working with someone is creative and experienced in developing products like Josh, you know, it's like if 
we can dream it, we can make, we can see it into production in a short, short span of time. Mm-hmm. So being able to work with this new medium and access a new, much more broader and diverse clientele, people that can see with rigs versus just people who need to lock stuff up has been way more in-depth dive in the cannabis industry than I had previously experienced. That's cool. Well, and I like that, you know, what you just mentioned, you using each other's ideas to bounce off of one another, um, like all those new ones that you created, the blunt pumpkin or whatever for the holidays. Like that was a cute, great idea. Or like your collabs. Uh, those are cool. And so that's good that, you know, you guys have your standard, you know, products that you would always sell, but then you have your exclusives as well. Yeah, we, we do our best to be as diverse as we possibly can for, you know, knowing that each consumer has a certain function or a certain need that they're looking to achieve. Mm-hmm. So what is the, what's the future looking like for MGR Arsenal? You guys uh, have any cool new uh, glass or anything coming out or plans for the future? Always. Uh, aside from world it. domination, <laughs> we definitely got some plans. Um, no, we, in terms of the way that, you know, our kind of creative or development process goes is, you know, there's no lack of ideas floating around the office. It's more a matter of testing every single thing out before the consumers see it to make sure that, you know, it's not only the right size, but the right function, the right price, and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, right now, at this current moment, we've got probably three to five different varieties of glass pieces that are just unreleased that are ready to go. That we then just decide, okay, this one's going to be more limited release. This one's better as a collaboration play. This one's better as a main staple, a main offering. So, we then kind of just put those pieces of the puzzle together to kind of map out the next, you know, year, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So are you guys just working like with one glass blower or like a consistent supplier or how does it work? Yeah, we work with the same supplier and team of Craskin since the very start. Um, this was something that took quite literally a, an immense amount of legwork to find that right partner. Mm-hmm. Um, it is all done overseas. We are very, very uh, transparent and proud of that. Um, it's literally like our family uh, over in North China. I mean, it's it's far from any of the wild west we'll call it down in the shenzhen area and where all this stuff gets pirated and stolen and it really is for lack of a better term the wild west so we did our best to to go very far off the beaten path and this particular manufacturing facility is actually family run and has all craftsmen between the ages of 20 and 40 all with health benefits and and all above livable wages in terms of their local economy so uh, we're super super proud of that not to mention generations of experience as well indeed indeed Wow, that's cool. Yeah, and I mean that's that's awesome on you guys because I mean that's directly to to you know you guys sourcing that out and you guys wanting to have that staple for your company. So kudos to you because I think it definitely does give a little more credence to your business and who you guys are as people to to think about those things and then make sure that you know your product's produced in a manner that's uh, you know in line with good ethics. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah, good, good ethics first and foremost, and then. You know, when it comes down to it, no one wants to pay for the domestically made stuff. I mean, if we made the stuff in America, it'd be two, three, four x the price that you see. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of, you know, there's a reason why the electronics of the world, the iPhones of the world, are made in a particular country. Because if we want to be able to mass market them, you know, need to be able to provide it at the right price. Mm-hmm. You do, yeah, and and that goes back to what Lucy and I were alluding to earlier is that. You know, we just wanted a simple piece. You know, we were like the cheapest thing on the block. You know, honestly, just want to try this stuff out. And steel, we were looking at shelling out well over a hundred dollars. And I don't know too many people who just you know can just shell out a hundred dollars willy nilly for things. But that, I mean, even I'm not really one of those. So seeing your well, glassware, it's like, oh, thank goodness somebody gets it. Somebody gets the consumer side of the deal. 
Well, thank you. And, and we try to provide, you know, uh, a superior performance and we try to elevate whatever that ordinary experience may be in addition. Mm-hmm. We do our best to at least. Mm-hmm. So how do you guys, how is the competition with like local glass blowers? Cause you know, that could be a pretty big deal. I mean, you go into these head shops and there's, you know, tons of different glass blowers with crazy pieces. So like, how do you guys compete with that? Or do you not? We love it. I mean, we think it's fantastic. We don't really view that in particular as competition. Um, you know, we're not going to sit here and tell you that we invented the fat egg, but we are going to tell you that we did it in a way that no one else has before. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to these local glass blowers, I mean, uh, talking about price point first and foremost, I mean, that's something that's going to be priced if it is in fact handmade and hand blown, you know, well into the hundreds of dollars. So we think that there is a very healthy market for such glass being more on the artistic side than consumer goods side. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm a collector of glass of local artists and regional artists, you know, to say that that is the thing that rounds out my collection, the thing that I hit every day, you know, not so much anymore. Yeah. No, that's and, true. And I would say that any glass artists that are producing these, these incredible pieces and, you know, charging what they're definitely worth, that's just drawing attention to glass art. And that's bringing people into head shops to see all the different types of pieces that are available to them. So if anything, I'd say we're all part of the same community and producing glass on any spectrum gets people excited about the medium and in the process. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, even you guys, by creating these pieces, you're all craftsmen no matter what. And it's, it's a craft nonetheless and one that I think needs to get recognition. And um, I mean, maybe not, it hasn't had as much recognition because it's had a, you know, a black eye attached to it because of the cannabis uh, being illegal, but it's very much going to be an up and coming profession that I think has to be recognized because, uh, you know, it takes a lot to produce these works of art. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would even argue that it, it's more of a, a, a negative perception at just the producing it overseas more than anything else. And I think that that is, is more of the stigma that we're, hmm. I don't even want to say we're fighting it because we're very proud of what we do. And again, when it comes down to it, if folks want to purchase a rig of quality for under 50 bucks, there's only one place it's getting made, and it's not in America. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And, and that's where you just have to have both sides in mind. I mean, <clears throat> you can outprice your glass and have it produced in America, or you can you know, offer the consumer a cheaper option. And at the end of the day, it's up to the consumer to, to choose. So um, you know, there shouldn't be too many qualms about it. Well, and it's just about educating the consumer, you know, just all those points that you made and, you know, explaining to people that they are working for fair wages, you know, they have health insurance, it's a family-owned company. Those are all important things to know, and those are, like, good things to have on your website for people to find out, and just being transparent about it, you know, is the best way to go, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the, the one other side of that, that, that coin that I, I want to mention on the positive side is when we are at trade shows, we do get a chance to meet glass blowers, both local and regional, and it's always a really cool conversation with them because they come up and they see the stuff, they know where it's made, but A, they're impressed at the overall quality of the build, and B, they really don't see this competition because of that being such a different price point for these consumers that it really is one artistry versus one mass marketable good, mm-hmm. and, and that's at least how I see it. Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, if somebody is really requesting and going out and has the money to buy you know, a, a glass piece of these other types, you know, they're going to go spend the money to buy that, you know, and exactly. at the same so, time, you're going to have people like Lucy and I, who maybe we haven't, you know, set it on the glass piece because we frankly don't really need one, uh, but because of our consumption. So we're just looking for a cheaper option to get us by. So there's definitely a, you know, two sides of the coin. Exactly. So hopefully we're the happy medium. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say the consumer is changing too. I mean, mm-hmm. the amount of people that are exploring what dabs are today is 
exponentially greater than it was a few years ago. And the people that are just now getting into this this type of experience, you know, maybe they don't want to drop several thousand dollars, a couple hundred dollars on their first rig just to try that experience. Right. So we're just offering options. Because, yeah. you know, I'm going to be completely real with anybody who's maybe not had glassware. They break just like any other glass. I broke so many pipes and a couple bongs in my life. Not good. <laughs> so it's bound to happen. Yeah, and, and then you're gonna go buy some nice glassware, and you're probably gonna keep it in a nice corner somewhere, and not let your, your friends touch it. And then you're gonna have to have a cheaper piece for the uh, the social gatherings. <laughs> yeah, the, one, the one that you actually use, not the one you keep the plastic. On. Exactly. Right. It's kind of like the china cabinet. You keep the nice bongs in the, exactly. in the china cabinet, and they're just for looks. <laughs> yeah, the, the motherships and the banjo glasses are cool, but yeah, I wouldn't take it out of the cabinet if I had that either. <laughs> so I just thought of something funny. What is uh, the best way to clean these products? Like, how do you get them shiny white again? So hot water, warm iso alcohol is really kind of like, you know, you know, really wipes away nicely. I mean, it's kind of like warm butter and a hot knife. Yeah. What is it? Rubbing alcohol? Yeah, just just iso alcohol. I mean. If you wanted, if people wanted to kind of go and upgrade beyond the alcohol, I think you know Resolution Colorado makes a res gel that's absolutely oh, fantastic. Yeah. That's what we um, need. You know Dakota, the owner, founder of the company, he's a good friend of ours, and you know another local dude with a great product. So if you wanted something, you know, if you wanted to elevate the ordinary ISO, I'd say res gel would be your your, your go to. Nice. Yeah, I've done that before. I've done the the isopropyl alcohol. And then mixed it with uh, some Epsom sea salt for some extra scrubbing action. Yeah, you works great. The extra scrubbing action. It it comes down to an upkeep question. I mean, do you keep your thing relatively clean? If so, it makes it a lot easier, obviously. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a better smoke experience. Tastes better. So, um, are these for their blunts and joints? Yeah, it's one size fits. You know, it doesn't uh, delineate. Okay. In the end, it's just a matter of diameter size uh, more than anything. For like pre-rolls and roll-your-own type items. Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I'd say the only thing that doesn't really fit is like a raw challenger cone, and it's by a couple millimeters. <laughs> well, you guys also have a life-size blunt MJ arsenal for extra-large blunts that I've seen before. We do. We did a little one-off for fun there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I've seen that video. You've seen that picture, yeah. That's right. We'll have to maybe try to link that because that we'll was post insane. that picture. That was funny. That was awesome. Hell yeah! <laughs> From four twenty. All right. Well, that's cool. So, where do you think? Like, where's your best market at? Where do you see the most popularity? You know, legal states and populated states by nature, but it's changing really quickly. You know, I think we see our hubs. You know, on the coasts. You know, in the LA and New Yorks are, are where we see our major markets. Um, I guess no real shock or surprise there. Like New Jersey, maybe, I would think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Huh. What was a big struggle for you guys being entrepreneurs in this industry? What was like the biggest thing that you guys had to overcome? Being able to describe your product accurately in a public forum without ruffling any feathers and getting your payment processor shut down, your social account shut down, or uh, censored in one way or another, mm. I would say personally. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of like doing business with one or two hands behind your back. I mean, there are certain things that we can benefit from, and there's more things that kind of act as hurdles or or thicker doors, as we just talked about earlier. Um, You know, I think, you know, we we haven't been able to accept PayPal for almost a year now. I mean, it's just the simple things that people take for granted, I think, when it comes to business, are things that, you know, we don't really have access to. 
uh, Google AdWords. You know, we really mm-hmm. do have to market with, you know, a hand behind our back. So, you know, it forces us to be creative and it forces us to really put our heads together and, and think of, you know, outside the box ways to reach our customers. Mm-hmm. So in the end, I, I view it as a strength. That is one cool thing that I've heard from quite a few people. Uh, and then, you know, it's it's slowly coming about is the, the sheer creativity that has came about from this industry from people having to be innovative and find, you know, creative loopholes, I guess you could say, around these things to, to operate their business. Um, and that's one thing that I think is going to be like mainly maybe like the, the cool the coolest part to come out of the cannabis industry is just flat out the creativity of some of the stuff. Uh, it's mind blowing seeing how people are setting up their businesses and attacks, you know, manner is, is quite impressive in some regards and all these things, you know, they have multiple lawyers working on them and how people uh, market their products without, you know, violating any, uh, software's laws or, you know, federal laws or anything like that is quite impressive. So there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out of it. Yeah, I, I think you see a lot of uh, corporate athleticism in this in this marketplace for sure. Absolutely, it's very interesting for sure. I would say there's something very unique about cannabis entrepreneurs and their determination because literally every wall or challenge you can imagine in a, in a non-regulated business, cannabis entrepreneurs are running into every single one. And so, you know, in order to keep going, you're you're basically looking at an endless line of walls to jump over or plow through one way or another. Mm-hmm. You are, yeah, and, and I hear that a lot too. Um, that it's like people get past one and it's almost never ending. And um, I think people just get to that point where they just kind of settle down and realize, you know, maybe this is just what I have to deal with. So just proceed forward. And, and that's most of the time when they're most successful is when they just kind of accept that, hey, you know, this is this is where it's at. And we just got to keep moving forward because if we give up, you know, nobody's going to get to the finish line. So, yeah, I think every great business, great athlete, great leader has the story of the time when they were very close to quitting and then. You know, they persevered, and that always seems to be on the precipice of the, of the thing that is great on the other side of that hill. So I think that that's kind of we live in this in this hope that you know, call it craziness, call it madness, whatever. But we know that we're going to keep moving and keep driving, and whatever comes up, we'll knock it down. It may take a week, it may take more, but in the end, you know, we're our only biggest barrier. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, and that's that entrepreneurial spirit, and that's what I that's what I love to hear because. No matter what, even if it is an MJ Arsenal, I mean, you guys are going to succeed. You guys already have. So that's cool. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. And, and you know, it, it's great to be able to chat with, you know, people who have experienced themselves as well, like, you know, like you guys. So mm-hmm. For sure. Well, we, uh, we appreciate having you guys on today and, and hearing all about MJ Arsenal and, and all the other kind of creative stuff that's come along with it. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I have to tell you guys this really funny story before we go. So um, when I started Green Love Denver, like, a, I don't know, a year and a half ago, I saw your, when did, when did you guys first drop the bubbler? So the Martian was dropped uh, March 2017, okay. or uh, February 2017. All right. So February 2017, I saw this thing and I'm like, all right, this is super dope. I'm going to order one, blah, blah, blah. And you guys were sold out. And so I went to a local head shop and I'm like, I just need the MJ Arsenal. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like trying to explain to them like what this thing is. But like, I don't really even know what it is because I've never seen one before. And I'm like, I just need the MJ Arsenal. And so like I was calling it that instead of like whatever the joint bubbler. And um, so I ended up getting one from like a local. It was like at the head shop. It was like a it was a knockoff version. But I was just like, oh, this is the MJ Arsenal, like for sure. And so um, I had posted a picture on my Instagram and I tagged you guys in it. 
And you guys like message me and you're like, you need to take that down. That is not our problem. <laughs> so it's really funny that we've got that clarified now and I know what's going on. And, but you guys were defending your product even back then. So good for you. Thank you. Yeah, to say the least, we certainly take our uh, intellectual property very seriously. Yeah, you did. And it was like the first week out and you're like, no, that is not ours. Yeah, well, uh, you can imagine the, the wave that we saw, but it, um, that's, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Well, I hope we weren't too abrasive. No, it was great. It's cool. Well, yeah, no, and there was. There was a big wave of them that came out right after you guys dropped those. Yeah, you know, it's the bane and the beauty of these times we live in with, you know, digital marketing and the internet. And, you know, you can get your product out to all these people at once. And unfortunately, some of those people are opportunistic and uh, looking to take advantage. Yeah, absolutely. So that was just something funny I had to share. Sorry. That is too funny. No, thank you for sharing. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us MJ Arsenal. Uh, tell everybody where they can find these. So we are at MJ Arsenal, A-R-S-E-N-A-L on Instagram and Facebook, and then www.mjarsenal.com. We are open 24-7, and we'd love to see you. Yeah, and uh, check these out for the holidays. These are great stocking stuffers, very affordable. Um, so get one for your friends and your family, and they're perfect. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it, you guys. Appreciate you. We'll hope to see you soon. All right. And with that, I'm Lit. I'm Lucid. And that's it. Laters. This episode of Lit and Lucid Podcast is produced in partnership with Yuhu Creative and Design. Yuhu Creative specializes in marketing, social media management, content creation, and other creative needs. Yuhu, helping your company become who you need to be. If you're interested in learning more, hit us up at yuhucreative at gmail.com.